Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, Abby Black, our Director of Discipleship, will wrap up our mini-series on the life of Jacob as we look at some practical ways we can implement forgiveness into our own lives. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Abby. If I haven't had the chance to meet you before, my name's Abby. I'm the Discipleship and Next Gen Director here at South Harbor Church. If you've been with us over this past series, we've been since January actually in the book of Genesis, but in this past small series, we've been looking at the life of a man named Jacob. In his life, we've seen pain, dysfunction, favoritism, love, hate, all of these things that make us question over and over again and see that forgiveness is pretty difficult. Today, we're going to take a step back in his life in the life of Jacob, and we're gonna look at the significant moments in life, the good, the bad, the big, and the small. We're gonna look at the moments when the presence of God, when the kingdom of God is about to take place, whether or not we know it. We're gonna look at the practice of recognizing these moments, of listening and responding to what God is saying to us through our trust in him. Have you ever felt yourself asking the question, what is your plan, God? What are you doing here? Or why, God? Why is this happening to me? I felt myself asking those questions before. And trusting God in the midst of our pain, in the midst of not being able to see the way that something's going to work out, is really challenging. It's difficult to do. And today we're going to look at what it looks like to trust God, even when we can't see how he's working, even when we can't see what his plan is. Because we all have plans, right? For me, I've been thinking a lot about plans and the future recently. Um, My husband and I are expecting our first child in the next couple of months here, and it will fly by. And we have been in full planning mode. (laughs) So we are planning for the labor and delivery. We actually have to make something called our birth plan. (laughs) We We have been planning for what we need for our first child, which for us means lots of garage sales. We're planning for maternity leave, signing the papers, how long we can be gone to be home with our new little one. We're planning for how to parent together, how to bring life into this world for the person that we hope that he is and he becomes. We're planning. We're making big plans. My husband's a high school science teacher, and he has the summer off. And so we've been looking at all the projects we've been pushing aside for the past few years, and we're like, this is the time to get everything done. So we've been planning. We've been putting the nursery together. And the other day, I was working from home, and we have a tri-level house. So I was in the downstairs in our home office, and I was coming up, and I could see him up the stairs, and I could see him just working away in our nursery He was painting, putting up batten board wall. He was putting in new trim, a fan, everything, all of the things to prepare for this child that we're bringing into the world. And I started thinking about the plans that we're making. We're making plans for this child, the sports we thought it'd be fun to watch him play, the person we want him to be to others, the relationship we hope that he has with God. We're making plans, and those are big plans. We all have them, right? Plans, things that we hope for our present and future selves, things that we want to be or to become. And if we do all of these things in the right order, if we take all of these steps, 
then the next thing will happen, right? Then our plans will occur if we do all of the things we're supposed to. That's the way it should happen, right? But what happens when our plans don't work out that way? For many of us, Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of our favorite verses. I imagine most of you sitting here know it. And even if you think you don't know what that is, you've likely heard it before or heard this general principle or idea. But Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So we make plans for ourselves But Jeremiah is saying, well, God makes these plans for you too. So what happens when our plans and God's plans don't align? What happens when we can't see God's plan? What happens when our plans don't work out the way that we hope? Maybe for you, you plan to get married young, but you're getting older and you've seen all of your friends grow up and get married and start a family and they're continuing to grow their family but you're still looking for the right person. Is this your plan, God? Maybe you've been planning for retirement. You and your spouse have this plan. You are going to get a motor home and travel the country now that you finally have the time and see all the things you could never see because you were too busy. But you go to the doctor and they find a lump and it's cancer. Is this your plan, God? Maybe you've trained your whole life to be good at a sport and you finally have a recruiter coming and you are on the brink of getting a full ride scholarship to the school of your dreams and on the last game of the season, you tear your ACL. Is this your plan, God? What happens when our plans and God's plans don't align? What happens when we can't see the plans that God has, when the plans don't work out the way that we hope? Today, we're going to look at a certain part of Jacob's life when the plan just seems to not be working out for anyone in the story. For Jacob, he falls in love with Rachel, but is tricked into marrying the younger sister, Leah, by her father. For Leah, she's married to someone who doesn't love her, her husband, Jacob. And for Rachel, she loves Jacob, but is unable to bear children. For each person in the story we're going to look at today, they have plans, they have hopes, they have dreams that just seem to be not working out the way they hoped. Which begs us to ask the question, how can we trust in God when we can't see what his plan is? To give a little backstory here, we're going to be in Genesis 29, and we're going to be looking at Jacob's life. But prior to Genesis 29, what we see is that Jacob had planned an elaborate deception with his mother, Rebecca. And they planned, and they actually, Jacob took the birthright from their father, from the older son, Esau. When that happened, his brother became angry, and to escape his anger and wrath, Jacob had to flee to relatives, which is where we pick up here. So if you want to open your Bibles with me, if you have them today, it's in Genesis 29, and we're going to jump into verse 14. So verse 14 says, after Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. So it says here that Leah had weak eyes. 
We're not exactly sure what that means. Some suggest that that means she was tender-hearted or delicate, meaning that she had a sort of sadness in her eyes. Others suggest that it could represent a deformity or a lacking clear vision. But either way, it's clear from the text that Jacob thought that Rachel was beautiful, that he saw her beauty immediately, and Leah was not someone he saw. He cast aside. He discarded her. He didn't see Leah. I imagine we've all felt that way at one point or another, discarded or feel like we're not seen immediately. The text goes on to say, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I will work for you for another seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, and they seemed like only a few days because of his love for her. So Jacob was in love with Rachel. He didn't want to work for Laban's money, despite the fact that Jacob had no money. (laughs) He already knew what it was that he wanted. He wanted Rachel. He wanted to marry Rachel. He loved her, and so he made a plan. He was going to work for seven years to earn the love of Rachel, to earn her marriage. And this plan seemed to be very economically appeasing to Laban as working for seven years, seven years of labor would not have been come at a cheap price during that time. So Jacob made this plan, a plan that it seemed that Laban couldn't refuse. He was going to work for her for seven years a small price to pay for Jacob's love for her. So the text goes on and says in verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. There was Leah. Can you imagine? How could something like this happen? Well, I imagine that the wedding chamber would have been really dark, and Jacob wouldn't have been able to see whether or not it was Rachel or Leah who had entered. Also, Jacob may have been partaking in the festivities of the evening and maybe had a little bit too much wine and not been quite in his right mind. Either way, Jacob had a plan, and that was to work for Rachel to marry Rachel. Yet it seemed that Laban had a plan too, yet a much more mischievous one. Laban gives Jacob Leah instead of Rachel. Similarly, and rather ironically, to how Jacob's mother, Rebekah, replaces Jacob with Esau to receive the birthright. The betrayal, the lies, the pain, it all continues, right? We see this. So Jacob worked for seven years. Although it says it was only a short short few days, it felt like, because of his love for her. But he had plans. He had hopes. He had dreams. And did I mention that Jacob would have been 78 years old at the time that he married Leah? He was no longer young and sprightly. He was ready to settle down. He was ready for a family. And he'd made this plan. He'd worked for this plan. But yet, in the morning, there was Leah. Can you imagine that? The text goes on to say, So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give you the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also. 
in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And then he worked for Laban another seven years. So let's pause for a moment here and look at this through the eyes of Leah. First, she is cast aside immediately by Jacob as he only saw Rachel. Then she's discarded by her father, who seems to think that the only way he could ever get someone to marry her is through a plan so elaborate and so deceptive that he actually snuck her in in the darkness of the night to replace her sister, Rachel. Leaving Leah only to think, how could any man ever voluntarily want to marry me, as even my own father doesn't think so? And then, immediately after wedding Jacob, she is replaced by her sister, Rachel. So Leah was not loved by her husband. She was discarded by her father and replaced by her sister. How would Leah have been feeling at this time? I imagine that Leah had a plan for her life also. And this is likely not how she thought it was going to work out. I imagine it would leave Leah feeling alone and unloved. Have you ever felt that way before, alone and unloved? Maybe you watched all of your friends get invited to a party and your invitation just seemed to never come, leaving you feeling alone and unloved. Maybe you're scrolling on your phone and see everyone on Facebook or Instagram or some kind of social media and it seems like everyone's doing all of these fun things and have people around them, but you're home alone again on a Saturday night, alone and unloved. Maybe your kids have moved out and far away, and somehow it just seems that your spouse never has time for you, making you feel alone and unloved. I would imagine that at one point or another, we've all felt that way. That's how Leah is feeling in that moment, alone and unloved. But notice what the text says next. We're jumping in at verse 31. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said it was because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. So Leah was not loved by Jacob. She was replaced by Rachel and discarded by Laban, but she was loved by God. And God gave her children. Leah had a child named her first child Reuben, which means in Hebrew, behold, a son. Leah was holding on to the hope that this son, this child, would finally bring her the love of her husband, Jacob. God saw Leah, and he loved her. That should be enough for her, right? That should be enough for Leah. It should be enough for all of us. But still, Leah longed for something more. Leah longed for the love of her husband, to see her, to know her. The text goes on to say, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simon. So God gave her another son, but Jacob still didn't love her. And she named this son Simon, which means in Hebrew to hear or to be heard. She believed that God had heard her cries and that this child, the second child, would finally bring her that love she so desperately longed for. Yet again, it goes on. 
She conceived again, the text says. And when she gave birth to this son, she said, Now, at last, my husband will become attached to me because I have bore three sons. So she named him Levi. So three sons. And again, Jacob didn't love her. And again, God gave her a son. She's hoping and thinking that this is it. Three sons. How could he not love me? How could he not become attached to me? How could he not want to be joined in harmony with me? Finally. Yet it goes on again. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. And then she stopped having children. So yet again, we see that Jacob didn't love her. And again, God gave her the gift of a child. You see the pattern yet? But this time, something is a little bit different. This time, she named this son Judah, which in Hebrew means praise. After three children, her hopes, her dreams, her plans, she had for herself. She turned away from her desire for Jacob to love her, and she turned towards God. She turned towards his guidance, his love, that he is the only one she could rely on, the only one who would love her unconditionally, the only one she could hold her hope in. So you remember when we talked about moments, the significant moments where where the presence and kingdom of God is coming? This is Leah's moment. And yet, that still leaves a lot of questions, doesn't it? Leah finally has seen that God loves her. Despite it all, God is with her. But she also wanted the love of her husband, Jacob, which it seems like she never fully had. She never got that, that thing she'd been wanting, the thing she'd been planning for. So you might be asking, we've seen, so Leah wasn't able to see the beautiful blessings that God was pouring out in her life, yet she was faithful. And you might be wondering or scratching your head of like, these children are beautiful gifts, but I don't see this outpouring of blessing in her life. It still seems kind of unfortunate that no one loved her, right? (laughs) It's kind of what I'm thinking as I'm reading the text. You might be asking that question. So from a woman who seemingly was unloved by her husband, was discarded by her father and replaced by her sister, came a great nation, came a Messiah, From Leah's third son, Levi, came the tribe of Israel, a nation out of which the descendants Moses and Aaron were to come. From Leah's fourth son came the line of a monarchy, King David, in which Jesus himself would eventually come. Let me say that again. So Leah, Leah's children, Leah had Levi. Levi had a son who had a son who had a son who had a son who would eventually be Moses. So no Leah, no Moses. No Torah, no first five books of the Bible, no Exodus from Israel, no Leah, and the entire Old Testament would be different. And then Leah had a fourth son, and his name was Judah. Judah would have a son who 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 would eventually be the great King David, the king who united Israel, the king who took loosely affiliated tribes and made it into a great and powerful nation. David then would have a son who would have a son who would have a son who would have a daughter who would have a son who would be Jesus. So no Leah, no Jesus. No Jesus, no New Testament. No cross, no resurrection, no hope for humanity as we know it. Well, would God have found another way to save his people? Would God have found another way to send Jesus? Yes. 
But don't miss this. God didn't find another way. God used Leah. The ordinary, unloved, unnoticed, disregarded woman to literally change history. God used Leah. Here's the thing. At the end of Leah's life, she wouldn't be able to tell you this. Because it would take years and years and years for God's plan to fully be seen. She got a glimpse of it before she died, but she wasn't able to see this beautiful plan that she was used for. Through this ordinary, unloved woman came an extraordinary plan of our loving God. Leah was stuck in a marriage where she felt unwanted, unloved, unseen, and hopeless. Yet she made a choice to be faithful, to love God, to trust him in the God who loves her so deeply and unconditionally. That even when she couldn't see the plan, that he was working. So remember at the beginning, we talked about Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Well, before Jeremiah 29, 11 comes Jeremiah 29, 10. And what it says is, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my promise to bring you back to this place. When the 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you. 70 years is a biblical lifetime. So what the prophet Jeremiah here seems to be suggesting is that, yes, God has a plan. And no, we might not see God's plan even in our lifetime, but that doesn't mean that he is not working, that his plan for our life isn't so big, isn't so miraculous that we can't even see it yet. He had one for Leah, though she'd never fully see it in her lifetime, and he has one for us too. Our prayer is that God will give us a glimpse of what his divine plan is We might not be able to see how all the individual pieces fit together to come as one. But we know that he is working. That he has a plan for us in the midst of our trials, our heartbreak, our pain, our despair. That he is at work. And that he has a plan that we might not be able to see yet. God is for us and he can be trusted. He is faithful and he is working. When we can't see what he has in store, God sees it. And he's with us in our pain the way he was with Leah. So this week we've been looking at this idea of making plans. And we look at the life of Leah, of Jacob, of Rachel, and we see that these plans don't always work out. The plans that we have for ourselves. We see dysfunction, pain, favoritism, all of these things. And yet in it, we see hope and trust and love. And with that, we want to take a look at the Kairos Circle. We explored a little bit of the Kairos Circle back in June. Um, the Kairos Circle is based on a moment, a moment in time that we refer to as a Kairos moment. Kairos is a Greek word that appears 86 times in the New Testament, a word that means time. There are two dominant words in the Greek language that mean time. There's chronos and kairos. So chronos is where we get chronology or chronological. It is literal time. You can think of it as ordinary time. So right now it is 10.46 a.m. on Sunday, July 16th. It is ordinary time. But kairos is a little bit different. When we translate kairos in the Bible, it's still translated as time, but it's different than chronos. 
Kronos is ordinary time, but kairos is the kind of time that stands outside of time. It's not 1047 on Sunday, July 16th. It's the time where you look at your partner and know that they're the love of your life. It's the time when you find out you're gonna have a child. It's the time when you first hold that child in your arms. Kairos is the kind of time that stands outside of time. It's a significant moment, a moment full of meaning, a moment with the potential to change you. Kairos time is the moments that we hang our memories on. The Kairos circle provides a framework by which we process what God is saying to us and learn how to respond in a way that allows us to grow deeper in our faith and to know God more fully from that experience. Because God is always at work, each significant moment, good, bad, big, or small, is an opportunity for us to be transformed by the work of God in our lives. Leah went through a Kairos circle in her own life. The first half of the circle is to repent. To repent means to ask for forgiveness. But I've always thought that repent means to ask for forgiveness from sin, right? But it means something so much more than that. To repent means for our hearts and minds to be changed to know God more fully. So if we change our hearts and our minds to know God, that is what repentance is. Not just asking for forgiveness from our sins as we've so often been taught. It's turning from our own guidance to God's. From thinking that we know that we have the plan to looking for God's guidance in our lives. This happens when we ask the question, what is God saying to me in this moment? In this Kairos moment. The second half of the circle is believe. Believe in Mark 1.15 means to be persuaded by. So if we truly believe, if we're truly persuaded by something, it will show up in the way that we live our lives each day. So if our hearts and minds are changed to focus on God and we truly believe, then we will shift our minds and our actions and we will show that through the way we live our lives to the people around us, to God and to ourselves. It will show up in the way we live each day. We watched Leah experience a Kairos circle in her own life with her fourth child. With each child, she kept saying, this is it. This is the child that will finally bring me the love of my husband, Jacob. And yet, with each child, we saw that that wasn't true. When she conceived with the fourth child, she still didn't have Jacob's love. But what she did is she turned and asked God, what are you saying to me? Child number four, still no love. God, what are you saying? She turned her heart and her mind to focus from herself to the hope and the trust that she had in God to recognizing her blessing from him and praising him with what he had gifted her. Leah was not able to see the plans, but she finished the circle by believing and trusting in God, even when she couldn't see the outcome. Leah didn't even in her lifetime be able to see the amazing plan that God had in store for her, the child, the line of a child that would bring the Messiah. But she was faithful. 
She trusted that in the midst of this, in the midst of this pain and this heartbreak, when she couldn't see what was happening, that God saw her, that God loved her, and that he could be trusted, and that his plan was greater than she could have ever imagined. So the same is true for us. He can be trusted. So today I want to ask you, what are those moments for you? The moment that you hang your memories on. The moment when something out of the ordinary happens. A significant moment. A moment full of meaning. A moment with the potential to change you. It might be good, bad, big, or small. But those moments when they happen is an opportunity for us for God to be able to do the transformational work in our lives. When we can't see the plan that God has in those moments he's working and you can trust him, that he sees you in your pain and he is sitting there with you as he was with Leah. My challenge and my question I wanna leave you with today is how are you going to listen and respond to those moments in your, in your life? Those Kairos moments. Even when you can't see the path ahead, even when the plan seems to be too much, the pain is just overwhelming. When the plan that you had for your life seems like it's shattered in front of you and you just can't see a way forward. God has a plan. And not only is it greater than the plans that you had for yourself, but it might just even be greater than you could have ever imagined. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the hope and the plans that you have for our lives. Thank you that you are always at work. That even when we can't see how our plan and your plan align, how they're coming together, that you are working. That you are working in and through us to do your divine plan, God. Thank you for the hope ask as we leave here today that we recognize those moments in our lives, the Kairos moments, the moments full of meaning, that we can see them, whether they're big or small, but that we recognize them and that we turn to you, that we ask what it is that you're saying and we respond with how you can work and change our lives. Please use us for your plan and give us the hope in which you came, Lord. It's in your heavenly name we pray, amen. We hope that this week's message has brought you both some challenge and some blessing. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sunday mornings, you can find our service streamed live at 10 a.m. on our Facebook page. And so from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.